When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On September 8th, 2015, the first episode of Set Listing Bruce was released. To celebrate our anniversary month, I plan to put out a new episode every day this month. If you're not part of our Patreon group, please think about supporting the podcast by making a small monthly donation. Everyone who joins gets a personal thank you card from me and a Set Listing Bruce sticker. During this month, I'd love to get some new reviews on iTunes and other podcast players. If you haven't rated the podcast before, please go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating, hopefully five star, and let people know why you love the podcast. Hope you enjoy this month of episodes. And now on to the show. Actually, Born in the USA was released in June of 1984. Sure. I was 13 years old at that point in time, about to enter seventh grade. And really for most of seventh grade, as one song after another rolled off that album and worked its way up the charts, it was the, the anthem for seventh grade. And for me, at least, I think I've, I, I was thinking about this today. I think I have owned now that album in vinyl, cassette, CD, and now to prep for this i actually downloaded it all on on my itunes yes. as well. i had about five or six of the songs but i didn't have the whole complete album bruce should if bruce is listening to this podcast he should really appreciate the fact that i have bought the same album at least four times <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me is a guest that I'm so glad is joining me. Not only does David have a great story that he wants to share, but David is a perfect example of what I fight against sometimes. Because I've had so many Bruce fans that have been lucky enough to see him multiple times or written books about him that David, before we started, like, what? I'm just a casual fan. And I don't know. That's great. So David, thank you for joining me. No, thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I, I'm really looking forward to talking a little bit about Bruce Springsteen tonight. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. I grew up in a town called Delaware, Ohio which is about 25 minutes north of Columbus. I think that's where your other podcast buddy is, Columbus, yes. Ohio. Yes, so. it is. Charles is there. And I was telling you beforehand, I am seeing Bruce in Columbus on September 21st. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. 
Is he play? Is he playing Polaris? I think uh, so. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. Delaware is about another ten or fifteen minutes north of Polaris. Okay. But it's on the north side, and it's slowly been absorbed by Columbus. It was an independent town, and now it's a northern suburb of uh, of Columbus. But I grew up there, and when it came time to apply to college. I applied and got into West Point and decided to go to West Point, the United States Military Academy. I did 24 years of service in the U.S. Army. I went to Korea, Kosovo, Bosnia, three trips to Iraq and a trip to Afghanistan. And finally, in 2017, I decided to transition and retire from the Army. I'm currently living in Columbus, Georgia. So from one Columbus to another, my last duty assignment was here in Columbus, Columbus, Georgia. And I founded my own company at that, once I got out of the army. And I, I do some executive uh, coaching and consulting now as, a, as an independent person. So was part of the reason why you decided it might be time to retire is the symmetry of I was born in Columbus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my new post-military life in Columbus. I, I, I wish I had been that, th- that thoughtful. <laughs> I went through a divorce. My now 14-year-old daughter is here in town and mm-hmm. decided to keep moving around in the army wasn't what I wanted to do. And I needed to be a father and be a father figure for her. And so I stayed here in Columbus. My my father did 20 years in the military. He was armored division. And I just was on another podcast last night talking about substance abuse and alcoholism. And my father had that, but my brother especially did. And we talked about the stress that a military family goes through. And and what I often, I think of often, because I had a really good friend, he's still my friend, who subbed, who was a sub, worked in submarines. He was in the Navy. And he says, you go three months where you can't hear from you. And then you're home three months. And all of a sudden, the family has gotten used to you not being there. And then you're like, hey, wait a minute, we need to change. And like, no, we've got a routine. We're glad to have you here, but it, it, you've got to adjust. So I think that's really tough on a lot of military families, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was on an extremely intense decade. I was basically gone every other year for a, a decade. And that, that tempo is tough to to keep a relationship going and, and be involved in all that. Luckily for my daughter, by the time I got out, she was seven or eight. So she okay. really, her military recollections, she missed the trips to Iraq, the trips to Afghanistan and stuff. They aren't really there. And she doesn't really have much recollection of the army experience. That's great. That's great for her. I counted once that I went to 12 or 13 schools from first to eighth grade. Wow. Because, and partly because my mom was a uh, um, mommy and daddy's girl. So if dad was stationed somewhere, she'd pack us all up and move back to Louisiana so she could be near her family. Yeah. And so I remember a couple of times going three different schools in a school year. The issue is, and I'm so glad she's not having to go with it, you tend to not form a lot of strong friendships because you learn really quickly we're going to move anyway yeah. <laughs> so they don't need to get close all right yeah. i always like to start at the beginning david you mentioned growing up in ohio 
what kind of music was in the household. And I also want to give you another, what prompted you to want to go to West Point? Okay. All right. Which one do you want me to tackle first? Let's do music first, and then I okay. want to go about that. Yeah. All right. My mom was a big Dan Fogelberg fan. I think I've listened to Run to the Run for the Roses hundreds of times. My dad was a sort of, we'll call him classic country and 50s and 60s rock uh, sure. fan. Okay. So listen to a lot of Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. Of course, me and my brother would always ask him to turn the radio to something else because we wanted to listen to the pops, whatever popular music was on at that point in time. But that was the music around us. It's I got so a, I got ahead. my own stereo that had, it was one of those combination stereos that had two big speakers and a big glass cabinet and cassette tape and a turntable. Right. And at that point in time, I went through my parents' album collection and I managed to find two albums out of their album collection that I was interested in doing. And the one was actually The Animals, which was one of my dad's, and it had House of the Rising Sun on it. So that was one that I stole from my parents. Mm -hmm. So I we're going to get to West Point, but I, I have found doing this since 2015 that I can group most of my guests into two groups. The first group that embraced their parents' music and as they got to be a teenager, just expanded. And the other kind of rejected it till they hit 30 and realized, hey, this Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson guy might have a little something. <laughs> you're laughing, so I assume you're the second. <laughs> yes, yes. I was definitely in the second. My father's musical tastes came back hard in my 30s. So when... Johnny Cash had the huge renaissance in the 90s. Me and two friends, we actually held little Johnny Cash listening parties. We called it the Night of the Three Johnnies. And we had Johnny Cash, Johnny Walker, and some other, the third Johnny, that as we listened to his first American recordings. And then that, of course, expanded his whole songbook yeah. of hundreds and hundreds of songs. I really wish I would have gotten to see Johnny Cash. For the amount I've listened to Johnny Cash, I really wish I had gotten to see Johnny Cash perform. But by the time I became a fan, he was past performing. Yeah. I never saw him either. My dad adored Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson the same way you're talking. I was born in 59, so I can remember us being forced to sit in the couch and watch the Johnny Cash show, right? That's on. Yeah. And I never saw him in a buddy of mine that you mentioned my partner, Charles, that I do the Doctor Who podcast with. A few years ago, we did each of us picked that if you could go in this time machine, that's the TARDIS, what shows would you go to? And I picked one of mine was I would have loved to been at the show where Rick Rubin was listening to Johnny and then gone backstage and said, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall hearing this. I think I know what you need to do. And to think about the where that led to this renaissance in his career would have been fascinating to be there that night. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the, up until that point in time, Johnny was probably playing all his old classics and some of the, we had some 
weird sort of concept albums in the 70s and 80s, the Christmas yeah. album and the spiritual sure. album and, and some other stuff. But although I guess he had hit in the 80s, he had hit with the Highwaymen, yeah. which got him a, a, another little bit of a boost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, that would be a great concert to, to have that, seen, especially have been... with how creative Ruben was with what he did with him. Yeah, uh, that's a really, I just think often you don't get a last hurrah, a hero. And to have that where this whole new generation found his music and enjoyed it. And that is, is just, I always makes me a little happy to think about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, do you remember the other album? It was The Animals. And what was the other album? I can't remember the other album. I was thinking hard on that. But you, my parents also insisted, I, I have a, I'm 52. I have a brother that's two years younger than me. And so yeah. one of the things that we were forced to do was take piano lessons for two years. And, and frankly, the happy, one of the, my more happy days of childhood and probably also for the music teacher was the day, my last piano <laughs> lesson, because I frankly could not carry a tune very well. I enjoy take. listening. To, did not take. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Have you, did you ever pick up an instrument? No, never realized that was not my forte and went other directions. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Very nice. You asked a little while ago about how I ended up at West Point. Please. I love to read as a kid. At one point in time, my mom got the the Delaware County District Library to actually create a special dispensation so I could take out, I think the, the limit was 10. I could take out 20 books every two weeks because she was tired of taking me back and forth because I'd read all 10 too quickly. But I loved reading World War II history and probably read just about every single book that they had in the library on World War II history. My family didn't have a military background, but of course, all the World War II generals, the Pattons, the MacArthur's, the Eisenhower's, the Bradley's, all attended West Point. And it started this fascination and love 
and went and visited a couple of times at West Point. And it was, it's just, it's an incredible place. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's on the Hudson. It's this beautiful campus. And just that whole thing struck a chord with me. And when it came time to apply to colleges, I applied and got in. It's hard to get in. I had a friend, someone I went to high school with, I believe she got, yeah, she got into the Naval Academy. And I knew that this is something really hard to do. Obviously, how much of a culture shock was it? Because you hear the stories about just this, the discipline and all the things. How was it? So one of the family jokes was that that there were going to be less rules at West Point than there were at my house. <laughs> that was not true. And after getting... There were many points during freshman year where after getting yelled at or whatever that I second-guessed my decision-making skills on why I wanted to go to West Point. But in retrospect, made lifelong friends there, great education, and I loved doing the Army and being an officer in the Army. I was infantry. I got to jump out of planes because that's what I wanted to do. I got to I attended and graduated ranger school and eventually got to go back and run ranger school. And it was a phenomenal experience and still have great friends that I, I stay in contact with every week that I that we went to school there together. Why rangers? Why did you want, what, what about that spoke to you? Freshman year, I had a history professor by the name of Dave Lamb. And Dave Lamb was this larger than life charismatic character who had invaded Grenada in 1983 with the 82nd Airborne Division, had a ranger tab and told these great stories about being in the 82nd Airborne Division and being a ranger and jumping out of planes. And at that point in time, I was like, oh, I've got a role model. I want to be just like Dave Lamb. And at that point in time, West Point, you had to, in order to get your career field and your location it was all based on class rank. And so that became my goal while at school was to, to be able to graduate. I had done the math and I knew I needed to be about, there's a, there were a thousand of us in the class. I needed to be somewhere above 200 in the class in order to get what I wanted. And so that, that was my focus and that was my goal. And I worked super hard to get it. And then lo and behold, I got to attend ranger school and I graduated from there in, in early 94 and, and showed up at the 82nd Airborne Division. And we trained all summer and you probably don't remember this, but it was a seminal part of my life. In September of 94, the U.S. was having problems with Haiti and we actually loaded up about 10,000 paratroopers on planes with live ammunition and we flew halfway down in order, I was supposed to jump in to the airfield in at Port-au-Prince International Airport and then eventually go down to the presidential palace and occupy that as part of the invasion force. We were disappointed that it didn't happen. After you get all rigged up in your parachute and you get live ammunition and stuff and you fly halfway down to Haiti and back, you get to, to go. But fortunately, Cedrus, who was the, the leader of Haiti, capitulated to the negotiating team of Colin Powell and Jimmy Carter. And there was a peaceful occupation of Haiti for several months, but we didn't participate in that. So we turned around and came back to, to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Happy for peace, but at the right. same time, right? Like we, 
I'm all set to go. Yeah. I was telling you my friend Ken, who was a submariner, and like he talks about he can't watch no matter how well a film is, like Hunt for Red October or uh, Crimson Tide, any movie. He says, I just see the mistakes they're making. I, I can't look at the performances. The reason I'm bringing this up is I was fascinated by The Last Castle with Redford. And okay. yeah, and and the director had uh, had gone to West Point. And in the commentary, he talked about that West Point doesn't make leaders, they discover them or something like that. His name's Rob Lurie. And so I didn't, do you, <laughs> you're giggling. I, is, I, I follow Rob on Twitter. Okay. Uh, he also did, I think it was called The Outpost, which was about guys in Afghanistan, which was really well done. He actually got a bunch of the guys that had actually, fought in that to be technical in that little mm. place in Afghanistan to be technical yeah. advisors for the movie I'm of a slightly different opinion than Rob I believe leaders can be made and shaped everybody comes in with a certain innate set of skills but West Point was big on the fact that we that West Point can create leaders and help turn your leadership skills into the best that they can possibly be. And I, I still subscribe to that. It's one of the reasons why right now as an executive coach, I get such a, a great sense of, at least for me, it's a great sense of accomplishment to be able to work with these executives and find ways that they can improve their skills and become better leaders in their company and and help them uh, grow and thrive. And I see it a continuation of what I did in the army into into now is you can help folks be the, the best leader that they can possibly be. So we're going to get back to music in a minute, David, okay. but I, I did want to, it this new career, I know I, since probably 91, 92, I've been in the call center business as a either a supervisor, manager, director. I've ran call centers of 200 people. I've ran call centers of eight people. And one of the things that I love the most about being a leader is helping someone and a teammate do something they think they can't accomplish. And you help them to build that so that they can. Um, second is helping people believe in themselves, like finding these gyms and helping them become, um, future supervisors and managers. And my last is sometimes there is an odd duck in a company that no one sees value. And one of the gifts I was told is that I find that skill that person has and find a need the company has and mesh it together so that we are meeting a need and this teammate, this coworker was feeling valued. So is you obviously had a very successful career in the military and I'm sure you're very proud of that, but is there as much pride or maybe even different kind of pride in taking people who need their management or their leadership skills sharpen and help them find that? Yeah. You don't get to find the way that you get to find the diamond in the rough and find that match isn't there. But I'll give you an example from last week. I've listened to this sales leaders uh, meetings for, for 
he does them every other week and I've listened to him twice and we had a talk this week and I was like, Hey, look, you really don't either in that they've got some headwinds in their industry and, and they're struggling to make sales. And look, you're not recognizing anybody in your meeting positively or negatively. And so one idea you might implement in your meeting is start out for a couple of weeks and just highlight the, the top three sales of the week and you get give credit to folks that are generating sales. And then you can work in this negative side and say, hey, whichever location is struggling on their sales, hey, what's going on here? Why are you making sales? And then we talked for a little while longer and he was like, yeah, one of the real things I'm struggling with is getting people to talk in these meetings. They tend to be him talking the whole time and getting no feedback and the same folks will talk if he needs folks to talk. Like, look, second thing is, why don't you just pick five locations? They have 15 locations and pick Mm -hmm. five every week and just say, hey, I need you to highlight one success and one, one loss and do that at the beginning to get everybody talking. And then you can put out your message after that, but you've gotten everybody to talk at the front end. And so that's where I think I can help folks because I'm not their boss. I can sit in to their meetings with an objective kind of thing. And they're not worried that, Hey, my boss is listening in and he might fire me if I say something wrong or, or whatever. And I'm genuinely there to help you, you know, create the best meeting or visit or interaction with your team that you possibly can have. And I, I don't know, that's where I, I think I can provide value and, and where I've been able to help folks and where I, I, I think that kind yeah. of thing is appreciated. David, I, I think that's a perfect example because that seems so common sense, but we often, I know I, as a leader, I am so busy doing the day-to-day, doing the things, doing the cliche, fighting the fires, doing things that you don't. And my VP said, I want you to book 15 minutes on your calendar to just think every day. Thinking's the hard part. That's why so many few people do it, right? He said, because that's how you're going to come up with something different to do. And I love that idea. One other thing I did once is everyone was complaining about how this the calls were coming in that were just horrible calls. And I said, okay, we're going to give an award every week to the most nightmare call. So after you're the call, nominate it, and then you'll win the prize that you had the worst call of the week. And so there was a little bit of joy all of a sudden. Oh, man, this may suck, but hey, I might win worst call of the week and and just made it a little bit funnier and a little bit so we couldn't worry. So that's nice. I like that. I I hope you gave out like a a skull that got to sit at the cubicle where each of the, the nightmare call. That is awesome. I did once, we had a guy who did our workforce management and my friend Ken, as I was just talking about, made a homemade abacus and he bought doll heads because it's all about head count. And we gave it to him. (laughs) And the workforce management guy got it immediately. Everyone's like, why are you giving him this thing of doll heads? And I was like, no, it's head count. Get it? Yeah. I always like to preface this. You've mentioned that you were a a casual Bruce fan, but can you remember when you first discovered Bruce's music and what about it spoke to you? 
Yeah, actually, Born in the USA was released in June of 1984. Sure. I was 13 years old at that point in time, about to enter seventh grade. And really for most of seventh grade, as one song after another rolled off that album and worked its way up the charts, it was the, the anthem for seventh grade. And for me, at least, I think I've, I, I was thinking about this today. I think I have owned now that album in vinyl, cassette, CD, and now to prep for this, I actually downloaded it all on, on my iTunes. Yes. As well. I had about five or six of the songs, but I didn't have the whole complete album. Bruce should, if Bruce is listening to this podcast, he should really appreciate the fact that I have bought the same album <laughs> at least four times. I am older than you, so I can do that. I bought it on a track. Oh. <laughs> then vinyl, then cassette, then CD, and yes, digital. Yes. Only because of my age, I can remember buying. There are albums that I have bought in so many ways, right? Yeah. And um, so that album for me is really the the bedrock of my Bruce. Of course, Born in the USA, Dancing in the Dark. But I will throw out two of them that I think. Uh, so I like No Surrender uh, a lot. One of the things I do now as I'm I'm a cyclist now, and as I try to get ready for big races, I'll make a, a mix, basically a mixtape, but I do it on the Apple sure. iTunes. And I always have a Bruce song or two. And No Surrender has been one of the ones that sort of makes it onto the the mixtape because I like the, hey, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to surrender. That sort of theme that goes through that song. And then, of course, glory days, because I'm now a 50-year-old athlete trying to think about my glory days and how I could actually run and swim and bike faster back in my 20s rather than in my 50s. So are you doing are, are you doing triathlons? I was doing them pre-COVID. And then when COVID okay. hit and I stopped swimming, I've got a friend that's coming into town in a couple of weeks and I need to get back in the pool because they want to go swim. So I got to... I haven't swam in a while, so I got to see if I can still do it. So I had gone through a phase. My wife did a lot of triathlons. She's done multiple halves and did one full Ironman and ended up at the run giving out for a lot of reasons. And But I remember I was at the gym talking to a guy that was training for a triathlon. And I just have always remembered this phrase, the coach... He says, I got a coach. And he said, what's the biggest problem with your swimming? And he said, there's not enough air in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that's as well as you could say, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> so, yeah. No Surrender is a very special song for me. When in back about six, seven years ago, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. I'm fine now. I always like to preface that everything's good, but no retreat, no surrender. Every hashtag I put on social media, I would put no treat, no surrender. And a lot of Bruce fans that are fighting serious illness, that that refrain, my buddy who was not a Bruce fan said, 
why do you keep talking about this Van Damme really bad B movie? And so he bought me the DVD because <laughs> he had no idea that was a Bruce lyrics. <laughs> That's nice. You talked about, though, you haven't been able to see him live yet, have you? No, I haven't. It's on my list of artists to see. Billy Joel and Bruce. I did check one off the list this summer. In My daughter and I had a week together early in the summer. And I said, oh, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? We always take mm-hmm. these trips. And, and yeah. she said, I'd, I'd like to go to Pittsburgh. I was like, Pittsburgh? Why Pittsburgh? She says, Taylor Swift is playing in Pittsburgh the week that you and I can travel. Okay, if it's what you want to do, yeah. uh, we'll go. And so we flew out to Pittsburgh and had a fantastic time. Taylor put on a incredible concert. I'm, I have, I will, I've, I'm a Swifty dad now as the lingo goes, but it, it was a great experience for both of us. It's given us something that we got to have that amazing experience together. And then I get bombarded with three to four Taylor Swift reels every day now to keep me up on whatever the latest and, and greatest is on Taylor. I've become a Taylor fan. So your daughter probably knows these stories, but when his daughter was going to school, I think it was Duke, but anyway, Taylor Swift was coming. So Bruce took Jessica and a couple of her friends to the show and being Bruce Freakstein, of course, they got to go backstage, right? Yeah. Which he said, for a while, I looked like a pretty important dad because his kids think he's Barney for adults. <laughs> they got to meet Taylor. Taylor talked about how much she adored Dancing in the Dark. It's one of her favorite songs. She covers it sometimes. And so Bruce played it for her on her guitar and then he signed her guitar. But yeah. And so he was just on Fallon earlier this year. And he talked about that Jessica picked him up at the airport and was like, Dad, you've got to hear Taylor's new CD. you got to hear it. just this bubbling. And Fallon's, what'd you think? I think it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I have not got to see her live. I would love to. And she is, two years ago, I had someone who's doing a Taylor Swift podcast. She's doing every, her and her husband are doing every Taylor Swift in alphabetical order. Wow. Tay to Z, Tay to Z. And, but she said Bruce was her first love. And so she came on me to talk about that and everything. So that's okay. good for you. That's yeah. a good dad. So, yeah. yeah. No, it was a good experience. Was the daughter, is the daughter the one that's the horseback rider? Yes. As yes. well? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We joke as fans, right? Not many people have an Oscar, <laughs> Grammys, and a Tony, and Olympic medal all in the trophy case <laughs> so yeah that's pretty cool that's really yeah. cool yeah. yeah talented family yes are there other songs of his that and have you explored any of like his new stuff like western stars or letter to you i have not but i will also throw out streets of philadelphia yes and the rising as yeah. a as another one the rising for whatever reason it's like one of the few off that album that I currently have in the playlist. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it just, it, I, I just, I like the tune, I like the lyrics. I missed with bouncing back and forth overseas. It was, I've got like a 10 year blank of popular culture where I didn't really listen to a whole bunch other than whatever the soldiers were listening to, whether it's right. call me maybe or whatever the pop, 
the pop sure. sounds were or, or yeah. whatever. But I like the rising a lot. That one that one spoke to me. Yeah. The story and once again, the great movie, The Man Who Killed Liberty Valance, if if the legend is better, print the legend, not the story. And the legend is that after nine eleven, somebody in a pickup truck said, Bruce, we need you. And that's one of the reasons why he and the band got together and did the Rising CD, that release. And yeah, the Rising has a lot of special meaning for me. It's the only song he's played every time I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him 19 times and he's played the Rising every time. Not Born to Run, not Dancing in the Dark, not necessarily others, but that's the one that I've seen the most. And so, yeah, great song. Really great did, song. Now, are one of your 19, did you go to see him on Broadway? I was lucky enough to go. I give a lot of love and credit to my wife. I I was convinced I could not afford it. And a, a guy reached out to me via social media and said, do you want to go? I can get you a ticket if you want to go. Like, how much? And he shared. And it wasn't the most expensive ticket, but it wasn't. The cheapest ticket either. It was in the middle rung. And you talked about now you are single, but when you're married, there are times when your spouse asks you a question and you aren't allowed to say no. Do you mind if my sister comes to visit? You, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. There's other things that do. So I went to Linda and I said, I know there are times when you aren't allowed to say no when I ask a question you are allowed to say no on this. I have a chance to go see Bruce on Broadway. Okay, tell me the details. So I told her the details. She said, let's look at flights. And we were able to find a direct flight from Dallas to New York, pretty inexpensive. And I got into one of those little boutique mini hotels. My hotel room was the size of a cabin and a a cruise line, (laughs) but it was all done. And she's make it happen. If you can make it happen, do it. So yeah, I was able to go and it was really wonderful. Yeah. Great. Did he play the whole thing? Was that acoustic? Was was the whole thing uh, acoustic, just him on a chair? Yeah. So it's available on Netflix. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, it is worth watching, even if you're a casual fan. Yeah, it was scripted, and we knew it was going to change that the opening night, around opening night was when Tom Petty died. And when Prince died, they did Purple Rain. When Bowie died, he did a song of Bowie's. When Glenn Fry died, he did Take It Easy. And all he said was, this is dedicated to Tom Petty, and he did not do a Petty song. And so the whole thing was scripted, where he never says, good evening, New York. He just starts immediately and um, goes through the dialogue and the songs, um, and it's telling a story. And uh, I really recommend it strongly. Uh, In fact, I'll invite you in advance. um, See it, then come back in and give me your thoughts. (laughs) Okay. All okay. right. I'll send I'll, I'll send you an email after. Yeah, that I think good. I watched I, I think I watched like the first half of it. Uh yeah. I remember that it was on Netflix now that you mentioned it. And yeah. I think I watched the first half of it, but I don't think uh So I'll... here's the thing you need to know. My wife was watching it with me and she went, This is so depressing. 
no, I can't watch it anymore. And then two minutes later, Bruce says, okay, I'm going to get you off side of side watch. <laughs> Let's talk about my mom. <laughs> and so we went through it a second time with my son watching. So yeah, that'd be great. What's next for you? What do you want to do with the business? What is the next personal goal besides get back in the pool? Uh, <laughs> try to do a couple of centuries. So this spring, a friend of it and I flew to Belgium and did Perry Roubaix. If you're not, Perry Roubaix is one of the one day classics. They allowed non-professional riders to ride the course in the morning. And then in the afternoon, the women rode it. And then we got to watch the men ride it the next day. And we've been talking about the next big adventure is to, there's another one in Italy called Milan San Remo and fly mm-hmm. to Italy next spring and do the Milan San Remo race the mm-hmm. day before the the pros race it. Um, I, I've Get got it. one more century here okay. in the States in the fall. Okay. Uh, up in North Georgia, you would not think that there's lots of mountains, but there are lots of mountains in North Georgia. Yes. And they have a race in the fall called Six Gap, which does the six iconic climbs in Northern Georgia. It's a hundred and... 100 plus miles and about 10,000 or 11,000 feet of climbing. So it is a, it's a hard day on the bike. Do any interest in seeing Tour de France alive? Oh, I've already done that. You Uh, have done that? Oh, nice. So in, in 19, my daughter and I flew to, we went to London and Paris and we timed it. So we were in Paris uh, for the final of the Tour de France. And she was only eight at that point in time. And so I bought, tickets to sit in the reviewing stand right Right. at the finish line little did i know that the tickets that i bought it was from a british company and the tickets were right in the midst of the friends and family of the ineos team and wow the ineos rider egan bernal won it that year we sat behind garrett thomas's parents and wife and brother-in-law Garrett Thomas had won it the previous year and they were great to hang out with one of the riders of the team had gotten kicked out. And so he came and he and I were drinking beers together. And so it was, you could not have asked for a better experience at the tour. That That sounds perfect. That That just sounds so perfect. That is great. How about the gig? How about the day gig? What's next for you and your leadership? The day gig. So I typically have five to six executive coaching clients at any point in time. I take them on for six months uh, at a time is the, the term that I work with them. Hopefully can continue doing that. I've taken on some business consulting as well. Like the story I told about the guy with the sales team, helping the smaller company try to improve themselves as they, as they tighten up some of their processes and they merged a bunch of companies together and are trying to, to get it into one sort of thing. As you mentioned earlier, I wrote a book. That was my COVID project. I wrote a book called Grow Your Grit, which is about how you can develop your grit and accomplish your long-range goals. And grit is just the perseverance to accomplish your long-range goals. And I think there's five or six components of it that are important for you to develop in order to hone your grit and actually accomplish your goals. One of the things, one of the things that I do talk about in Grow Your Grid is one of the things that you've got to have is courage, and and courage is about overcoming fear, and in this case, it's not fear. And I'll tell you a, a story. I, I'm I keep saying I'm going to write book number two, 
but I keep procrastinating on it. And I keep, and, and that's where I talk about, hey, you've got to have courage uh, to overcome that fear of failure. Because frankly, I, I really want to write a, I wrote a nonfiction book. I would like to write a fiction book. And I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I've got it in me. I've certainly read a whole bunch of books about how to do it and sure. have some ideas and stuff like that, but I keep procrastinating on it. And to me, it, that's the part where you've got to have that courage to overcome that fear of failure that sort of manifests itself in the procrastination or avoidance or whatever you want to call it. So I got to buckle down and write that book. Yes, because you know what? I want to be on the press tour. I want okay. when you're ready right. to promote the book. Like, hey, Jesse, I'm ready. So that'd be great. All right. uh, if someone wants to learn more about you, give us the uh, website. Yeah, the website is uh, com. All one word. I do a weekly blog post. This year, it comes out on Tuesdays. Three times a month, it is on an element of World War II in the European theater and a application to, to today's uh, life or business. And then one one Tuesday a month, the first Tuesday of every month, I do an update on the war in Ukraine. So I've when the war kicked off way back in March of last year, I've got almost 40 blog posts on the war in Ukraine. One of the, a reporter from the Washington Post picked one up and that, that kind of went viral for me. Probably not as viral as you get with some of your stuff, but it was yeah. viral for me. That's and, awesome. Uh, Got got a lot of interest on what the Russians were doing and what the what Ukraine is doing, and have been following that and putting some commentary on it. Like last month, I talked about some different artillery systems that were had been gifted to Ukraine and how one type of system, which is towed, has suffered higher losses than the wheeled the wheeled one, which can shoot and then move and then shoot again, and some implications for the U.S going forward that if this is the new kind of war is our reliance on towed artillery maybe not not well placed and maybe we should think about a wheeled artillery piece i'm gonna anyway. check that out that sounds really interesting david this was a blast i had so much yeah. fun i hope you did before i get you out though i gotta ask you the merry question for those of you who are either clients of David's or fans of his blog and are checking out the podcast for the first time. Thank you. I end every podcast with the Mary question. Jay Armstrong is a retired honors English teacher from the Philadelphia area. When he was teaching, he would give his high school seniors in his honors English class the lyrics to the song Thunder Road. They would read the lyrics. They would discuss Bruce's imagery that he's using. They would talk about the themes of the song. And at the end of the two-day class, he would just ask his class, does Mary get in the car? So, David, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So I will say I had to go back and re-listen to the song because I always get I always get stuck on the Roy Orbison line. Yes, uh, my dad loved Roy Orbison and Roy Orbison sang "Only for the Lonely." I think yes. that's the line in the song. Exactly. And so I had to go back and listen to it, and I'm like, "How is this even a question?" I'm an optimist. She got in the car. She's taken the leap and going down the road with Bruce. I don't. It would be interesting to see what your stats are on what your guests think. Is it 50-50 or is so it- So uh... for the longest time, it was about 60-40. 60% said yes, she gets in. 40% say no. But I've had a string of no's. 
Oh wow! So I almost I think to- I totally can't. don't get how they think that she doesn't get it in the car. He spends I, the whole song telling her yes, about yeah. this great well, opportunity. A couple people say we called her ugly. She said you ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. I'm like, no. <laughs> what he's saying is he's addressing her. She's the one that's saying she's unattractive, and he's fighting that. But yes, that's a great answer. I love it. David, thank you so much for your time. I had such a good time. Any last thoughts? Any last comments? No, just thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. This was a different podcast than I typically go on, and I really enjoyed it. And just an opportunity to talk about Bruce Springsteen and how it's affected, how he's affected both of us. I really enjoyed it. That sounds perfect. All right, listeners, go to the website, check it out, check out the book, check out the blog. This is a good way for us to get informed about what's going on there in the world. So the rest, please be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.